My guest today needs no introduction, but that's only because it's like the 18th time he's done this podcast. He's basically the unofficial co-host of Hot Cakes from a 90 Stand. Please welcome back to the podcast, Ryan Gilman. These people are tired of hearing my voice, <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to be back. Thank you for inviting me, and uh, we got to make it official, I think, on the next visit. So We do. We do. The unofficial. I was thinking of like naming you as like a quote-unquote permanent guest, but that sounds that sounds dumb. So the... the, the um, unofficial co-host for today but maybe in the in the future we'll be official co-host i feel like right now i'm a, the equivalent of like if you rent out like your basement you know if you do that i'm that yeah. guy that's like renting it out for the current like three months <laughs> you're subletting <laughs> subletting the podcast all right well um uh i just wanted to ask this last time that you were on the podcast it was like a week before you got married and we were wow. all we were yeah. all very excited, um, and then we had your wedding, which was just an absolute blast. Um, so, what's uh, what's married life been like? Uh, I'll answer the question, but first, it was so funny because we had you know just gotten married and all that, and then we were at the reception. You were like one of the first people I ran into because I had to take a piss real bad. Obviously, you're holding that <laughs> in, and it was either you running towards the bathroom or me running away or vice versa. And I was just like, Dove, you're here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, It was me needing a, it was, you know, me with my social anxiety, needing a moment away from all the people, <laughs> but it was a good, it was a great hug. One of my first hugs uh, of post, you know, married life, but no, it's been good. Uh, nothing's really changed. We've been together for a while, but at the same time, uh, it was a great time. Great to have all the family and friends show up and actually uh, at least pretend to be supportive. So, <laughs> yeah. And by the way, you, you try to you definitely try to make me cry during the mother son dance <laughs> oh. when you did. Uh, You'll be in my heart by Phil Collins. Oh from my Tarzan. gosh, that was the one. Where, like, because I have a stepmom, OG mom. Um, as you say, uh, what was it? The bonus mom. Bonus mom. Bonus mom. Yeah. And there was one song where I'm like, okay, I forget which one I chose first, but you know, that one that you referenced, it was like, that was like concrete. The other song that I was trying to figure out was, I'm, I'm not too sure about this, but that one was in stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's get right into it. Um, obviously the name of this episode is the, you know, the not exactly 27 club with not exactly in quotations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, before we talk about the not exactly part of uh, the title, let's talk about the 27 club part of the title. Um, obviously that's kind of been around in, you know, music lore for as long yeah. as I can remember. And, um, but when did you first hear of the 27 club? I think it's things that came up in passing, but I didn't really acknowledge until probably my teenage years, because that was when, as we've talked about on other podcasts that I've done with you, uh, when we started, you know, covering Nirvana, getting into Nirvana. And I feel like the Kurt Cobain incident kind of reopened that discussion because if I'm. I think it was 1969 to 1971 that the original four that kind of well not the original but like I would say the bulk the bulk you know, of the yeah. 27 yeah, club yeah. was kind of in that period right right so that was kind of when it was more of a, a phenomenon I guess you could say yeah and uh, I didn't know about the 27 club really like who was involved in that originally until I started going down the Kurt Cobain rabbit hole <laughs> yeah yeah and, it, and it's amazing the ones that like kind of joined you know, later down the road, obviously the two big ones, I'm sure there's others, but the two big ones being Kurt Cobain, like you mentioned, and then mm -hmm. Amy Winehouse. Yes. More recently, who, like, yeah. You know, and, uh, and that kind of brings me to, before I ask you the next question mm -hmm. um, about the 27 Club, I want to kind of answer the question I'm going to ask you. Um, mm -hmm. For me, uh, the Amy Winehouse, of all the musicians that are part of the 27 Club, I feel like she's been the most influential on my music. Interesting. Um, because I remember... 
I get, I didn't get into her until later. Um, when I was uh, right after I graduated college, I was in Manhattan and I was going to see the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was hanging out in the city and I had like a few hours to uh, spare before um, the show. And I mm-hmm. went and I saw the uh, the documentary about Amy Winehouse. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I've heard like rehab and you yeah. know, whatever. So let me check on the movie. And I was like just blown away by her talent. And wow. I remember like watching her play these like really cool jazz chords. Mm-hmm. And I and I was like, damn, I want to, I want to, Try those out. So, and and that's kind of I think like and you've heard my guitar playing. Absolutely, I was about to say that's yeah. The, more recently, that's kind of yeah, your avenue, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it I think it's kind of interesting because like knowing me, you'd probably think oh it'd be Hendrix or Kurt yeah, Cobain. It's yeah. Like, you know, I feel like at this point, um, because there's no there's also no drummers on the list. <laughs> so in terms of the guitar playing, I, I would say Amy Winehouse. But for you, um, which member of the Twenty Seven Club has been the most influential? It's cool. Obviously, we don't really talk about these. You know the outline of this podcast before we meet, but I have the exact same parallel as you where I didn't really have somebody that you would have thought from this club. It was really post-college, maybe or end of college, post-college that I, you know, really started listening more uh, to more of the doors. And uh, Jim Morrison, actually, I, I found his uh, story about how he like was post-college, just living on a roof of a dorm, <laughs> living off of like, I think it was like French fries and LSD or something like that. And like he read, uh, what was it? Uh, the Doors of per- uh, the doors of Perception. And that's kind of how the Doors got their name. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, their stuff is really, a lot of their lyrics are really written around the stuff that he read in that book. Uh, don't do drugs, kids. I'm not saying I've ever done any of this, but <laughs> I, I get kind of where he's coming from and some of that. And that's where I'll leave it off at. But yeah. um, I really do enjoy the Doors music. And I've kind of got a little bit of my guitar kind of, I don't know, noodly stuff from the stuff uh, that they've written. And so he is the one member of the 27 Club, at least most recently, that's kind of influential to me. You know, my Jim Morrison story that I always tell. Um, so when I was in college, I had a, a girlfriend and her dad was, um, was you know, on the, was much older. Um, he was like probably in his early 70s. Um, and uh, I remember him telling me the story that because he's from, uh, you know, um, Jim Morrison's from Florida mm-hmm. and uh, her dad, I don't remember his name, but he was uh, he was also from Florida. They were and they went to the same uh, community college together. Um, and apparently he would just kind of like he was just like this really weird dude that would like sit um, like sit at his desk and just like write poetry and like never really pay attention. But it was wow. I think it was like a zoology class that they were taking. And the one time he raised his hand um he, uh, uh, he, you know, the, the professor called on him and Jim Morrison uh, asked, um, what do frogs sound like when they copulate? <laughs> That's so him, too. Like, no yeah. one else would fucking ask that. <laughs> so I love that. And I'm not a big Doors guy, but like, obviously, no, no. I'm, I'm, I recognize Jim Morrison's, uh, you know, eccentric brilliance, if you will. Um, Got a little crazy towards the end, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like he was crazy just the entire time. Was, yeah, that's fair. I guess he just started to uh, show it. I guess in live performances, that's where <laughs> that's where it goes downhill. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So uh, before we get into you know the not exactly uh, part of this, the twenty seven club, right? The not exactly members, the ones yeah. that died young, but not at twenty seven. Um, who did I leave off this list? Like, think of like who are some you know obviously. The focus is the 90s, but we can talk about really anybody, um, you know, who uh, obviously, you know, I told you the ones that I intentionally left off. Because yeah, ta- I either talked about them already in a past episode or I'm going to talk about them in a future episode. So um, did I leave off anyone? Um, You did, but it's like 
it's kind of outside the sphere of the 90s and it's a little bit more personal so i understand why but um ron pigpen mckernan he was one of the original founders of the grateful dead actually really yeah he was their keyboardist and uh he was actually the front man before phil lesh kind of took over um he came he was the one that actually met jerry garcia first if i recall this correctly and so they were really influenced by the blues not the psychedelic stuff at all at this point. And Phil Lesh's influence slowly kind of took over the band, and it was kind of symbolic in a way because uh, Ron was basically having trouble with alcoholism and stuff like that. And so he passed, and the dead be kind of came what they became after he passed. Wow. And so it was a really interesting kind of, uh, I guess, transition the dead went through. But he was one of the founding guys. And how old was he? 27. Uh, it's not exactly 27, but I, it's not not exactly 27, but he was 27. So he's part of the 27. <laughs> he's club. part of the 27 club. Oh. But the and then the other example that I have was the not exactly 27. This is a little post 90s, but and you could have seen this coming from me, but the Rev from the Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. He was yeah, 28. Yeah. So it, and he, I guess, had uh, had you ask the same question, you know, about influential, you know, people in my upbringing at least. I mean, the Rev was insane. I'm not a drummer, but I think Did anybody you, who you know listened to him respects you, him. If I remember, you didn't you you didn't get to see him perform, right? I didn't. I saw them in 2011 for the first time. I was 14, so before that, it would have been dangerous to go see him for me. <laughs> was that was was Mike Portnoy on? Portnoy was Portnoy. drumming at that point. Well, yep. yeah. I mean, I've told you a million times, but uh, I I I will still say I never saw the Rev, but I was at an Avenged Sevenfold concert when he was the drummer. Yeah. Because I heard him. Though, you heard him. <laughs> because his drum set, I still have never been to a concert where a drummer has a bigger drum set than the Rev. Oh my gosh. And, and it, I, I did not see him. And like, I didn't even know it was him until, until they, they performed afterlife. Yeah. And cause he sings like a part of that song. And I was like, Oh, the Rev is here. Oh, there he is. Just, you know, <laughs> doing this crazy double bass thing and singing the, like, you know, the chorus perfectly. It, it you know, obviously he was very, very talented yeah. and I'm very jealous that you had a chance to just even hear him. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm certainly blessed. I'm um, another musician. Um, a couple of music. I'm surprised you, you didn't. Or the one musician I'm surprised you didn't mention was Avicii. Because didn't Avicii? I think he, that when he was like 28. 28. And I had actually thought about him, but I thought that was a little bit too far to left field for this. So I appreciate you bringing yeah. him up, man. But he, um, yeah. yeah, his story was interesting too. I mean, it's not too much different from a lot of the people that are kind of in this age sphere that passed. You know, at least the music people. You know. But, you know, a lot of drugs, a lot of partying. And, and towards the end of his life, I know Avicii was, like, depressed from a lot of it. And that his health deteriorated very fast because of that, obviously. But, yeah. Yeah. That, and, I, and I remember, like, when he died, that was that was a huge deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, he really uh, – and he's not my brand of music, but sure. I can respect, um, you know, his contributions to the music scene, if you will, um, and especially within his genre. But um, – One day when I have a podcast and we're talking about – the EDM stuff. Uh, I'm not going to we'll be on that episode. <laughs> You're not, not going to be there. I, I ain't getting there. <laughs> but yeah, he was instrumental in because he did bring it, you know, in a sense to like the mainstream. Actually, you know what? I've I've made you listen to country for this podcast, so I, <laughs> so, so I guess I guess I can listen to EDM for your for your EDM podcast. Just just a couple songs, and you don't have to stay, bro. You can come over to my house and record for twenty minutes and just run like hell after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah, I'll, or I'll just go upstairs and hang out with L. Yeah, sounds more fun, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, um, my my question getting into now, I, I want to talk about the musicians that I covered in the monologue. Yeah, um, yeah, the, yeah. For my. Uh, not exactly 27 club and the first question that i have because you know we have multiple uh members of the genre that we're talking about today yeah what the fuck is grunge uh, that's 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 a hard one dude um let's see 
from a guitar standpoint, I kind of classify it as the low-hanging fruit of riffage. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I know you like that one. It's, <laughs> it's very like low register. The pace isn't quite as up. Uh, it's kind of ploppy. Uh, that's from a music standpoint. The vocals, I wouldn't call it angsty because it's not punk. It's more of, and it's not whiny. It's more of, um, I would say, bitter in like some... I don't know what we're gonna talk about later about Alice in Chains and stuff like that. It's not like it's moaning, it's not like it's whining, it's like these people you know, the lyrics are just kind of bitter. So, um and that's what I think of when I think of grunge. We'll talk about that more. But if I, you know, had to put those two together, you know, bitter vocals and just kind of uh just kind of a low register kind of uh feel to the music. Yeah, I, I think that I think a grunge as a genre is really kind of hard to pinpoint. Mm-hmm. I think that the media just kind of had a field day with the certain, mm-hmm. with the aesthetic of grunge. Um, and like, there's definitely like a lot of overlapping factors, but it's kind of hard to like, listen to Pearl jam and then listen to, you know, Allison chains and then like say, Oh, they're the they're same. The same. Genre. I agree. And That's obviously there is overlap, but I heard, um, I'm trying to find, I, cause I was, I watched um, a documentary about one of the, musicians that we talked about and Jack mm-hmm. and Dino, who was like one of the founding fathers of grunge from like mm-hmm. the, on the production side. Um, he made a really good, let me try to find um, the quote. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he basically said that. Um, so in Seattle in the mid eighties, like eight or nine bands existed that would play aggressive mid tempo rock music. Yeah. That, so I think to mid- me, that is like the best definition. Now all, moving down the road, like I think like you talked about, um, the lyrics, like definitely very introspective, mm-hmm. um, kind of talk a lot about alienation. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, a lot kind of down the road, also talking about drug addiction. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's like almost, I always just kind of think of it as like, like mid tempo rock music with yeah. very introspective lyrics because, like, I feel like classic rock, you know, obviously there's exceptions, but classic rock was more for like the riffage, if you will, or like the drum solos, the guitar solos, or whatnot. Exactly. But it wasn't really, and you maybe like the power of the vocals, but never necessarily what the singer had to say. So I think, but I think that's completely different in grunge because you had like Bob Dylan level talent of songwriting, yeah, um, with guys like Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder, with like a lot of the influence of classic rock and heavy metal and and punk as well. Exactly, things were going, things were so high octane, so fast paced in the eighties, like the the yeah. glam metal that like it just all of a sudden just grounded to a halt, and what the, like the result was grunge. It was like, yeah. oh, we got tired of this. Yeah, let's just well, it, it, slow down a bit. <laughs> well, glam metal kind of just you know took care, just kind of ended. It killed it. itself, I it, guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It, it it just got way too saturated. Um, yeah. Not that there weren't. I mean, obviously, I, I went through a hair metal phase, and there's still Everybody tons does. of hair metal bands I'll come back to, but um, it definitely you know did not age gracefully. Sure. Um, so, you know, we'll t- and we talked about Jack Andino, who's, or I mentioned him, who's mm-hmm. one of the founding fathers on the production side, but Andrew Wood is one of the founding fathers, um, you know, on the, in the music side. Yeah. Um, so before this episode, had you heard of, uh, Andrew Wood? No, I had not. I think his name came up briefly in like a Wikipedia article that I was reading, maybe about, uh, maybe about Pearl Jam. And obviously there's, there's some connotations we'll kind of discuss later, but, um, no, I never heard of him. And did you know, though, and this is something, you know, I heard about Andrew Wood for two reasons. The first, okay. obviously, the because of Pearl Jam, right, right? Um, which we'll talk about in a second. But the second one is that I there's so that, I you know, Temple. Have you ever heard of Temple of the Dog? Temple of the Dog. No. So they, they were a grunge super group. It was basically Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. It was it was the 
the the bassist guitar and guitar two guitars from Pearl Jam, and mm-hmm. then Chris Cornell, the singer of Soundgarden, and uh, Matt Cameron, the drummer of Soundgarden. They did a, a supergroup tribute what? to Andrew Wood, and they only did one album, um, but it became like it, it sold really well wow. and is like regarded as one of the the best um, rock albums of the '90s. Um, and that was and that was that whole group was mm-hmm. uh, formed as a tribute to Andrew Wood. Wow. Um, and they uh, w- the second biggest hit on the album, which is Say Hello to Heaven, is about Andrew Wood. Wow. Um, and then other have and then, you know, the song Wood by Alice in Chains. Yes. That's about Andrew Wood, too. What? Yeah. I didn't put that. In de- oh, yeah. my God. Two and two together now. But oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> um, and then um, there's one more song that's called which this is a song like when I mentioned the name, the name you might not recognize. Yeah. But if you heard the song and I should have played it to you before. Um, you'll recognize it. It's called Far Behind by Candlebox. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that song before? Same thing we've kind of discussed. Don't know the name of the songs, but when I hear it, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm sure I've heard it. So we'll, after this, I'll play it, and then I and then when, when I write the description for this episode, I will uh, I will update it. But it yeah, nice. so the song Far Behind by Candlebox is also about Andrew Wood. Dang. So it's just like, and, and so even if, and I mentioned this in the monologue, even if you've never heard the name Andrew Wood, you've yeah. heard songs about him. Absolutely. You, you know, which is so crazy, and I guess part of that comes from that he passed early on. I remember, you know, looking up him, looking, I guess, or reading up on him a little bit before this episode, and I did, you know, see he died when he was like twenty four or something like that, yeah, right? Really it was crazy, young. and yeah. like heroin. I'm, I think I remember correctly. Yeah, but, it was a heroin overdose. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's unfortunate because um, I I was listening to Apple, and uh, there was, I mean, we we can get into that a little bit, but there's sure, so yeah. many like. There were so many things where I was like, wow, this band is just like the junction of so many things that came before and then what came after them, too. It's kind of crazy. I love that. Can you can you uh, expand on that a little bit? Because I, 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 I think I see where you're getting at. And I... Yeah, for sure. So, like, I, you know, traditionally just went down Spotify and I went down kind of their most popular stuff before kind of digging deeper. The first song I listened to was Crown of Thorns. And I'm like, the fuck? This is like. I was told this is going to be like, you know, Pearl Jam. This is literally like Poison and Guns N' Roses kind of combined right here. And yeah. I was like, what? And, and, and Elton John. <laughs> and Elton John, yeah. yeah. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, and honestly, wasn't the hugest fan, fan of that song. So maybe not the right one to start off with. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned them um, because Crown of Thorns is a song that it, it's their most popular because it was featured in this movie called Singles. Have you heard of the movie Singles before? No. So Singles was a movie. It, it, it um, kind of encapsulated um, the Seattle grunge scene, and it came out in 1992 and was directed by Cameron Crowe, who oh. also directed Almost Famous. Okay. Um, and Interesting. So, and it's a, a rom-com like that is set in like as grunge is exploding. And there's like tons of cameos. Allison Chains has cameos. What? Eddie Vedder, uh, Pearl Jam has what? cameos. Yeah. And apparently like um, it was one of the main inspir That movie was one of the main inspirations for the sitcom Friends. What? Yeah. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. What? Yeah. Anyways, and, and and Crown of Thorns was featured in that movie, so I think that's why it's the most popular. But I personally don't love Crown of Thorns. Yeah, I like, feel bad I, for shitting on it a bit now. But yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just I, I'm not crazy about that song. But I'm so, so I just wanted to yeah yeah point that out before you continued. Super interesting. Yeah. After he- and hearing that after listening to it, that makes total sense. Kind of just you know the atmosphere of that song. Um, I got to Shangri La next, and I was like, okay, Boppy, oh, hell yeah, Boppy, and like still giving off the Guns and Roses vibes. Um, but it kind of gave uh, way to more of the band's character, I guess you could say. There was little things in that song where I'm like, oh, I haven't heard too many other bands do that. Or this is kind of the beginning. Obviously, this wasn't done in the 80s. Um, I got to Stargazer. 
and was like, yo, this is just like a live by Pearl Jam, but it, like it's Twisted Cousin. <laughs> 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 like that was the first song where I was like, okay, I see where, you know, the, you know, the similarities existed between these two bands, not exactly in like the vocals because, um, I don't know, Andrew was much more high registered than Eddie was like the vocals right. didn't really sound similar, but the, the enunciation of things, the spacing of things, the way the songs were kind of spread out as far as like reverb and kind of, you know, all that musical stuff that I could go down the rabbit hole about, but probably not in a podcast. Uh, it seemed very similar to Pearl Jam in that yeah. sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so another thing that, that I um, noticed, and I know it's so interesting that you said this is Shangri-La reminded you more of Guns N' Roses. Because yeah. to me, like, this is Shangri-La and Holy Roller. Those are my two favorite mm-hmm. um, Mother Love Bone songs. They um, they remind me of, like, like the Pearl, when Pearl Jam does their more, kind of like, funkier yes. grunge. Like, mm-hmm. songs like, like Even Flow and Holy Roller to me yeah. sound super similar. Those are your twisted cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, even like anything Eddie Vedder did in his first couple albums with Pearl Jam was pretty twisted. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Wait, quick quick thing, too, on um, Holy Roll- Roller. I That was where I, uh, at least one of the first songs I listened to from them, where that wah guitar, it was like, oh, it sounds very, very kind yeah. of guttery, very similar to Pearl Jam. And yeah. is it weird to say, too, that like, the chorus of that song almost gives me like an Aerosmith type vibe, like Holy 80, 80, Lola. yeah, like eighties Aerosmith. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely like kind of going back to that high pitch. Cause you know, Steven Tyler loves getting into that, that high register as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably honestly, yeah. it's not quite Aerosmith, but for some reason that has popped up. Um, yeah, the uh, those were basically oh, and Star Dog Champion. I really like yeah. that song too. Uh, the whole album, as you know, just from fr- uh, start to finish, though, listening to it, I'm like, wow, this band would have been really big. I feel like if they had, you know, yeah. And kept the going. thing is, and I think if it and and it did kind of achieve some kind of mainstream success. Yeah, but it came out three out three months after Andrew Wood died, which is crazy. I didn't so, realize it was posthumous. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Post uh, posthumous. Pot, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I always read it. I, I mean, I could be pronouncing it wrong, but <laughs> you know, we'll get we'll get Ella, who's an English major, our friend, to come on and tell us that we pronounced it wrong. But Absolutely. Um, but uh, so so you mentioned your favorite songs are so um, Star Dog Champion. Mm-hmm. This is Shangri La. Yeah, probably said those are your two favorite. Yep, I would say Shangri La. Even Holy Rollers right there for me yeah. too. But yeah, yeah. Th- I would say those are my uh, my top uh, yeah. three medalists. I would say. So um, I'm going to let's move on to the next uh, to the next um, musician that uh, is part of this, you know, rather somber club. (laughs) Um, But had you heard of Blind Melon before researching this episode? Yeah, I actually had a story around that one. So um, and we'll talk about No Rain probably more. But so that was like our family car trip song for like probably three years of my life because I used to live in Tucson with my family and 30 minutes I'd say east of Tucson is a mountain called Mount Lemon they actually do a lot of like space research there's like a whole uh I don't know what you call it but they got like a big ass telescope on the top of the mountain but as you go up in elevation the uh climate becomes more woodsy it's kind of like it kind of reminds me of like California redwoods type vibe anyway reason I mentioned that is because that song was always our song we played on the way up the mountain and we'd have our subway sandwiches and we were in a big ass minivan (laughs) and like i was sitting there eating a meatball marinara overlooking the world just listening to no rain and so that's kind of 
yeah. my, my version of no rain. It's one of those things like you're eight years old, you're driving in, you know, rural Arizona, you're going up the mountain, you're listening to no rain, you're eating a meatball sub. <laughs> this is as good as life will get. I, I've peaked. Like, forget high school, dude. This is this is it right here. <laughs> um, so what did you think of Shannon Hoon as a vocalist? He was... It, because I, I I had to go and listen to him kind of in some acoustic sessions too to really get like a feel of him. He was a weird type of delicate that fit hand in hand with the register of the guitar and a lot of the stuff that Blind Melon did. I think that's what made it nice to listen to. It was peaceful, but that was kind of ironic because there were kind of darker underlying things maybe in the music. But the his voice lends you to feel like everything's kind of all right, which is I think why people connected with it so much. Yeah. And actually, I, I mentioned almost verbatim what you just said like about No Rain is that like. No rain is 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 deceptive. Yeah, because it's like this boppy, this boppy folk rock blues song. Mm-hmm. But like Shannon Hoon is very explicitly talking about depression, like yeah. very clearly. If you like, just ten, take any time. But it's kind of hard to really uh, digest the lyrics because you're so distracted by the uh, the, the light boppy. guitar, right. the boppy, <laughs> like, and like, if I remember correctly, because I was reading up on the song, it was actually written by the bassist, I think, because his girlfriend was basically going through like this depressive state. And like the the term no rain comes from, wow, I'm upset that it's not raining today because I'd have a reason to stay inside and not, you know, attack the world today. And that's kind of, I guess, the underlying message of the yeah, song. I, I, You know, I, I didn't I didn't get that far into, into research. That's that's super fascinating. But have you I, felt that way? Because I've definitely felt that way. Where it's like. I mean, I wish it was rainy, so yeah. I had an excuse to be inside. Oh yeah, oh I, I, absolutely, and I I think it's like I, I feel that exactly because you feel less guilty if you're not outside doing things because oh well the weather's you know, ah, I, I, well. I guess I can't do it you know I guess I gotta go on a twelve hour cod marathon today. <laughs> well, I don't have I've never had that experience yeah. before, but I'm a, I'm a rare breed. <laughs> I will say that's the one time that like that I don't feel guilty sleeping in. Yes, I always feel especially like on the weekend. It's like man, there's so many things I could be doing. I could be at the gym right now. Exactly. I could be working on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I could be you know working on my music. Um, I could be cleaning. Um, but when it's raining, it's like, oh, well, it's raining. So my mood is, is down. I might as well just sleep. Exactly. And so I just think it like fits hand in hand with like what you were talking about, the deceptive, you know, depressive kind of theme of the song. Yeah. It's so interesting. But that, there's a lot of, I think, um, a lot of their lyrics just kind of looking it over. He, Shannon Hoon. Wait, so you're saying so the bassist wrote the lyrics? I'm pretty sure. It wasn't, it wasn't Shannon Hoon? It wasn't Shannon Hoon. I'm pretty sure it was the bassist. I forget. I think it's Brad something. Yeah. Uh, I have to go back and look at it again, but it was a song that I believe the bassist before he joined Blind Melon, it was a song, lyrics he had when he was basically living in LA, or I think it was LA, and it was just like, wow, like I'm barely eating mint. Uh, meeting ends making ends meet here yeah. i'm sitting on like the beach just trying to like make money to get food mm-hmm. like i just don't want to keep going out and doing this and so that's kind of i think where the song came from which is so interesting interesting, interesting. but because i feel like just listening to a, a lot of the lyrics he wrote a lot about his depression and he did write about addiction as well mm-hmm. but it wasn't like you know and we'll talk about one of the musicians later that write that wrote quite a bit about that yeah um but i feel like it was m- Shannon Hoon wrote much more about depression and like mm-hmm. and like like we said it's 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 deceptive because a lot of the songs not just No Rain they are kind of boppy especially because the band had such 70s vibes I yeah. mean I, and I was thinking about this and I wanted to get your opinion on this now I've never really listened much to Greta Van Fleet but mm-hmm. my understanding of the band is that they kind of are trying to um you know 
um, emulate like Led Zeppelin and like, yeah. a lot of those 70s bands. Um, whereas I think that Blind Melon kind of did the same thing, but they kind of had a more unique um, tint to them. Definitely agree. Um, and I think that's what made Blind Melon special. And there's a lot of, there's an article that I was reading that was super interesting about talking about like why Blind Melon isn't really, uh, didn't become the household name that a lot of their contemporaries did. And it's because they were just so unique. And right. there was really no band after them that sounded like them or before them that was. I agree. Like it, they they brought a lot of different things together too. Like even, they even, I know uh, growing up, I believe Shannon was even like a, kind of into the dead so like you hear i was listening to um it was time and at the end it's almost like just a psychedelic just outro of just jam and it's like yeah. you definitely hear roots of other things that they sprinkle into their music where it's like whoa like no other band kind of sounded like that at that time so yeah. it's and so interesting they were so eclectic especially um uh their their debut their self-titled debut i mean you had like folk songs on it you mm-hmm. had blues songs you had funk rock songs um, and, and the thing about Shannon Hoon is what I, is what I said is that I didn't think he was an extraordinary vocalist. I think sure. he was, I mean, you know, he's, if he was in my band, I would, you know, I would love that. We keep him around. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, we wouldn't keep Russell around. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Russell, you're, you're, you're delegated <laughs> to pushing buttons once again. Um, but you know, I didn't think he was of the quality of, Maybe some other singers. Yeah. But uh, for me, it, he almost kind of reminds me, and this is going to be a weird comparison, and I'm not saying their timbre is, is mm-hmm. uh, identical, but it's like Michael Jackson, where it's like yeah. Michael Jackson as a vocalist wasn't really anything that special. It was the charisma within his voice mm-hmm. that was really unique and special. And to me, like, that's how I felt. That's how I feel listening to Shannon Hoon is. Yes. And that's why I think people identify with him so much and really gravitate to him yeah. as a musician is because of that charisma in his voice. It was almost like a lullaby sometimes that he was singing. It was weird. Like, um, I think it was Sleepy House, a song I was listening to where it was like, whoa, like this is just making me feel comfortable. I don't know. I don't get it. It's it's, it's something I would have loved to see live. I wish I saw them live. And and I know that oh yeah and we we were talking about that when they played at Woodstock mm. um, and I think that's just kind of an indication of like a changing of the time because I know that that performance was like panned at the time because he uh, was high he was clearly high he on was LSD. very high on LSD uh, yeah and it's it's not and and you made the comparison of um like with when Santana performed um at Woodstock but like when you watch Santana perform he, he just looks like he's just kind of in his element fair he he was know? ready for that right i don't <laughs> i don't know if Shannon was ready for the uh no. that part of the trip <laughs> no no yeah Shannon Hoon was just so he's clearly he's visibly um you know high on LSD and he's wearing his girlfriend's dress yeah. which is one of those things that 1994 that was i think something that society wasn't quite ready for where if that was yeah. today be like oh yeah he has good fashion sense that's cool yeah yeah but but that's but look you know watching that performance that was a brilliant performance a and his voice sounded really good and even even the best singers don't sound quite as good live as they do in the studio but he sure. really sounded great at that show yeah no it was one of the more enjoyable um live performances i've seen some live performances i don't know i i can respect it but it's hard to sit there on a video you know on a youtube video and just kind of I don't know, get it <laughs> as someone who just listened to it in headphones. But that one, I, I really enjoyed, you know, just watching the whole performance. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. And um, and the last question that I have before we move on um, about Shannon Hoon and Blind Melon. Actually, I totally forgot to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know we've you've mentioned uh, No Rain and Sleepy House, and we'll talk about No Rain in a second. But what are some uh, of your favorite songs by Blind Melon that you got to, you know, besides what you already mentioned? 
Um, definitely uh, no rain, but also change. Change. Change was really cool, especially yeah. the live acoustic version. That oh my god! And you know that there's a, a line from that song. I can't remember which song line it is, but it's actually written on um, Shannon Hoon's headstone. Really? Yeah. And that's another song about depression that people don't. Yeah. Like. It's about depression, but like it, it has like a very uplifting message. Yeah, there was something. There was a lyric I remember. I'm not sure if the same one. You're, it's probably not the tombstone one. It was, but it's basically like when you've run out of energy, that's it. You're done. You die. Right. Yeah. Because when you stop dreaming, like, you, it's yeah, like, yeah, something like that. It yeah. really is a lot. I mean, that's a really beautifully written song. And then like the else was like when things get hard, you have to change. And yeah. Like kind of having that self awareness despite everything that he was going through at the time. Exactly. So that's a that's a great one. Yeah, um, but yeah, that in time. Uh, exactly. I loved time. Yeah, but yeah. Um, and uh, so I know we've we've mentioned No Rain. I know we talked about how it was boppy and, and whatnot. Is there anything else you would like like to add to it? Actually, no, because you talked about what you enjoyed about it. But like, let's put it into the context of the popularity that yeah that, yeah uh, that it had and that that endures. And um, you know, if you look, I mean, it's got you know nearly four hundred fifty million streams yeah. on Spotify. I mean, there's and you could say, well, you know, um it was a big hit when it came out, but there's tons of songs that came out 15, 20, 30 years ago that were huge hits on the, on the billboard, on the billboard charts and whatnot. But you know, they haven't really stood the test of time. No rain clearly has stood the test of time. So like, why do you think it is connected so much, not only with people when it came out, but like, you know, yeah, everyone since, I mean, I feel like that song holds up today. It's just a really cleverly, um, written song in, from a music perspective, too, like you've got that guitar I mentioned, where it's that's just really catchy, and the, the folk feel of it lends it to be, I think, listenable. Listenable, that's a word. I don't know. To a lot of different people, a lot of people will listen to that. Fans of maybe country, folk, you know, rock in general, and just listen to that and just think, oh, this is like, you know, this fits some of like my, I don't know likes you know of music and stuff like that yeah. I don't know, that was a bad way of describing it basically it's catchy to everybody that's a great way to describe it and it's like you know um if people are you know more gravitate towards folk mm-hmm. um if they listen exclusively to bob dylan and joan baez and johnny mm-hmm. mitchell they could probably really appreciate that song people that listen exclusively to like eric clapton or exactly Vaughan, yeah. can really appreciate the blues guitar and at the end of the day it's like it's a pop song like it's yeah. a very it's a very accessible song so i think and that can kind of like connect with like more pop audiences. Yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, I, I in in that that's a song, and I remember like I've always loved that song, and I remember I suggested that in when, um, when we were in our band, yeah, when we were suggesting songs to covers, and I still think we should cover that. I think it'd be because it's, it's not that hard. I feel no. like it's just a very simple, fun song that. And also from a nostalgic point of view, I feel like when you listen to that song too, it almost makes you feel like you're kind of back in that time yeah. period. Well, what's great is it has 60s vibes. Yes. But it was written in the 90s. Exactly. And it's 2023. So we're just doing a lot of time traveling in four minutes. Also, as a drummer, <laughs> I would be sitting on my ass for the first two minutes, which would exactly. be really fun. Easy yeah. for you. Go grab can, a beer. Yeah, I can just, I can just like, you know, heckle you and Sarah. And, you know. We'll be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you all so much for listening. Special thanks to Ryan Gilman for being a great guest as always. Check out the second part of our conversation next Tuesday, January 30th, where we'll wrap up all things the Not Exactly 27 Club. I'm Dove Brenner, and this is Hot Cakes from a 90s Stand. Take care.